What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. And present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere, check it. Not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer. A Spotify original. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck this guy, man. No, no, no. no. I'm not playing these games with fucking Tony today. Tony gave me a fucking scolding today, Jesse. I'm not, I'm not playing this game with Tony. Yeah, I fucking walk out of work. I went to work to go tape a pod with Tony today, and he gave me a scolding on the fucking way out. And I was actually, I was walking out like I fucking let some people down. I'm like, wait a goddamn minute. He's fucking 12 years younger than me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm walking, out, I'm walking out to the car with my fucking head down and shit. You know, walk back in the house dejected. I fucking came to work to do a pod. He was mad at me because I didn't fucking jump on the link. You know, he had to fucking switch some cameras around. You know what I'm saying? I was like, man, fuck this guy. I don't let this guy, him in his robe, make you giggle. Fuck this guy. You know what I'm saying? He used to be my homie. Now you act like you don't know me. What, what episode is it? <laughs> 206. Episode That's the way we're going to start this mission. <laughs> yeah, welcome into episode 206 of the Full Go Podcast. I'm Jason Goff, and of course, I'm surrounded by a cast of characters. You know, my main man, Tony Gill, and the active Jesse Lopez. We we thought maybe we were going to get ourselves a Steve Cerruti side, and he jumped back in the group chat like it was all good. You know, uh, hopefully Papa Cerruti is doing well. He is always with us in spirit. Ah. <sighs> Well, 
Bulls fans, <laughs> you got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Man, the Memphis Grizzlies came out and punched the Bulls in the mouth immediately. And then they also did it in the fourth quarter of the basketball game. The Bulls scored 14 points in the first quarter and the fourth quarter of a basketball game. That's all you need to know. That's all you really need to know. They really couldn't buy a bucket tonight. DeMar DeRozan was out with right hip soreness. Um, and DeMar never misses games. So, you know, if he does miss a game, it's, there's got to be something going on. And it's something that we'll be monitoring as we go forward. But the trade deadline is Thursday. Right. This was the last game before the trade deadline. And this is a conversation that I think Bulls fans have been trying to figure out and trying to have. And what are the Bulls? And I actually asked Kendall Gill and Will Purdue that on the post game show tonight. And I'll tell because I didn't give an answer because, you know, you know, we, we we don't do freestyles. We do pay styles. Wait a minute. They're paying me, too. But, you know, I saved some stuff for the podcast. Of course, uh, the Bulls. The Bulls have distinct issues, distinct issues. The Bulls physically, and this reminded me of the Milwaukee series tonight, the Bulls physically aren't stronger than some of these teams that are contending squads. We saw it in the Milwaukee series where they lost four games to one where Chris Middleton is a physically imposing character. Like, you know, you play around and think that Chris Middleton is just some mid-range shooting all-star if you want. That dude is put together. He's six foot seven, two 230 some odd pounds. The Greek freak. I mean, what more can you say about Giannis Antetokounmpo and his physical exploits? And then Drew Holiday. <laughs> you know, at the lead guard position, that dude is as strong pound for pound as anybody in the league as well. So when you go up against Memphis Grizzlies team who are like a, a miniature version of a tough physical Milwaukee box squad, but their ridiculous athletic freak is a point guard instead of a power forward. I mean, John Morant, at some point in the game tonight, it was, it was what, I'd say probably about eight, nine minutes left in the game, said to hell with this. Uh, the Bulls and the Grizzlies were tied up at 82. The Bulls went on to score seven more points for the rest of the game. And John Morant attacked downhill, time in and time out down the stretch of that basketball game. Uh, Dylan Brooks did his best to, to shoot the, the Grizzlies out of that basketball game, but then he hits the dagger three at the end as well. I mean, it was, it was one of those games where the Memphis Grizzlies, who have lost eight out of nine coming into the game, were a little shaky, right? John Morant was out with right wrist soreness the game before, so you knew he was going to take a little bit to get his timing back, get his get his mojo back, and he did. He did. I, I thought Io DeSumo and, and Kobe White did as good a job as they possibly could on him. And, and, and shout out to Kobe, by the way. I keep saying this, but, you know, he didn't have himself a good shooting night tonight, but, you know, Kobe White, I, I think, has made some strides in, in, in his development as an overall basketball player, whereas before we thought he would just be a scorer off the bench. Now, I would like to see Kobe get back to scoring. <laughs> Kobe's doing his driving kick thing. He's doing his affect the game in other ways thing. But uh, this was one of those nights with DeMar DeRozan out. I needed Kobe to go for 15, 20 points, and he just couldn't buy a bucket tonight. Um, the thing that was concerning, and I'll be honest with you, was how detached, even with the points that he scored, that Zach Levine was tonight from the game, and especially in the fourth quarter when Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks were getting up. And like the Memphis Grizzlies, they. 
they got the drop on everybody because they are the team. And there's two or three teams every single year. And usually it's the same teams because it's their makeup and it's in their DNA and it's in their characteristics. It's the way that their roster is com- uh, composed. There are certain teams who just foul the shit out of you. And they look at the refs and go, you can't call all of them. You can't. So this is what we're going to play. We're going to play in the mud. Would you like to get dirty? If the answer is no, we're going to get you out of here quickly. If the answer is yes, you're going to be here to the fourth quarter until our shooting and our, and our, our closure takes over. Right. And Desmond Bain hit a few shots. Their closer and John Morant took over, but they are a physical bunch. And, and, and this is without Steven Adams tonight, too. And, and I'm not just talking about physically imposing when we talk about like running into you and, you know, uh, arm barring you to death while, while, while they're defending you. I'm talking about what their physicality forces you to do as well. Like Brandon Clark was a game changer all night long. Anytime Brandon Clark was on the floor, he was rim running and offensive rebounding and catching lobs and physically imposing his will on the game. And speaking of physically, Andre Drummond, who, you know, uh, a lot of people, including myself, want to see him get more minutes. Tonight was the kind of game that Billy Donovan would probably point to if, you know, you got a couple of beers in him and you got him off to the side. He's like, hey, that's the reason why that motherfucker's on the sideline a lot. (laughs) Because they got Andre in pick and roll situations and big man was on skates. And then we have to talk about the Euro step airball layup. We oh, do man. have to get into that. Uh, Andre is going to have his own little little carved out section on Shaq to the Fool at some point here this week. Because he should have requested not to play today. Like there was his his trade value was not higher than it was <laughs> than it was yesterday. That boy plummeted. They said that. the Bulls are gonna get nothing for him. Tony, they sit. He sit down the front. He sit down the front, the front office in Memphis. Like, hey, uh, I, I I know y'all don't want me here. So so, <laughs> if you want to get rid of me for the highest value, I just got twenty one and fifteen and fifteen minutes for you. Uh, <laughs> the other night. This is going to be a game that I'm going to have some trouble with. <laughs> you know, hey, call his so, agent after the game. Okay, t- t- tell him we're picking up that playoff. <laughs> it's like the end of the Kanye album. Like, you still think we can get that deal with Rockefeller? <laughs> At the end of college dropout. Like, yeah, man. We're making fun of it to keep from crying because this Bulls team is maddening. Um, you know, 26-28. and 28, Uh, this team should be a lot better than this. And the inconsistently consistent nature of this squad where you, you don't know um, how they're going to answer the bell. Um, and I, I think, and, and we heard it in Billy Donovan's post-game presser, Billy's very aware of the limitations of this team. Um, and, and he's not fearful of answering and, and responding to those limitations. Joe Cowley, a uh, friend of the show from the Chicago Sun-Times, asked him about Arturis Konnachovas and, and Billy's con- conversations because this is the final game for the trade deadline on, you know, what Arturis values and not having to need this game or that game be a barometer and understanding and watching this from the 50,000-foot uh, view that you can honestly take a full year of basketball since the last All-Star break to now and say, this is what you got. This is this this team is around a 500 team. They they are the definition of mid right now. They are the definition of average to above average at times. And right now, their their record, you are what you are, right? Their record right now is below average at 26 and 28. You know, 
I think they are right now trying to do several things at once. I think they're trying to remain as relevant as they possibly can because you got that nice little jolt when Lonzo was healthy and you were first in the Eastern Conference headed into that all-star break, and then the wheels fell off. And they're still trying to figure out where those wheels are, if some of those wheels are usable, if some of those wheels uh, were just, you know, um, fool's gold, uh, you know, while at the same time trying to develop young players and pacify veterans, highly paid veterans, right? Like, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Nikola Vucevic seemingly are going to get a chance to run this thing back unless something crazy happens by the time we pod again on Thursday where the trade deadline is going to occur. Um, If Vooch isn't moved by then, then it seems as if Nikola Vucevic is going to be a part of this Bulls team for the next couple of years because I don't think you would keep Vooch in an expiring deal if you weren't trying to re-sign him, I don't think you would keep him through a trade deadline and and get nothing for him, right? And Zach Levine is maxed out. DeMar DeRozan is having a grand time playing basketball here. He loves it here, and he's put down some roots here, even though he's an L.A. dude. Uh, and and just waiting for Lonzo Ball, whatever that may be. I mean, they're trying to develop Ayo DeSumo. They're trying to develop Patrick Williams. Um, P-Will, I thought tonight you saw all the things that would tease the shit out of you in the third quarter where they came out after the second half and they answered the call physically. And I think a lot of it was on the shoulders of Patrick Williams, who just took the ball and started to drive the basketball, started to make some really, really purposeful movements. Uh, the the two dribble pull up was beautiful. You know, he had what, seven points, I think, in the third quarter. I mean, he, he drove the lane. Uh, after being bodied in the first three or four possessions of the game by Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, Jaron Jackson Jr. put P-Will on his hip and was taking it to him, and something that you normally don't see in terms of a physically imposing player imposing himself on P-Will. Like, usually it's neutralized in some way, somehow. So P-Will answered the bell in the second half, which I thought was good to see. Uh, Nikola Vucevic got 26 shots. Now, he got a lot of shots outside of the paint. And I thought the game plan would be to kind of bruise this team up, especially with no Steven Adams. But it's one of those things where this team, for whatever reason, has had problems with recognition all year long, whether it be in a game, in a certain possession, uh, in a half. Um, recognizing where your bread is buttered has been an issue for this squad. And also, for all the consternation about the lack of ball movement and the stagnation and what DeMar DeRozan might be in terms of a gun, you needed DeMar tonight down the stretch. Because when that 22-7 to run was happening to close out the game, there was nothing to stem the tide. You know, there was a couple of shots that were hit, but you were like, you, you knew there were, there were shots where it was like, whoo, instead of shots where it was like, all right, everybody calm down. This, this was a decent possession. Now you get to stop and build on it. It just seemed like they were chasing the game at a certain point in that fourth quarter, even after it was tied. And they had an eight-point lead as well. Like, let's not act like the Bulls were trailing this entire time. Like, they blew an eight-point lead at, at some point during this game. So um, as far as the Grizzlies are concerned, you know, they I think they're a, a really, really good team. I don't know if they are ready for prime time just as yet. I don't know if they have enough shooting, and I don't know if they have enough off the bench for a team like Denver. And, I, and you know, I think somebody else is going to, you know, jump up and, and make themselves be known. I, I thought Philadelphia and, and, and the Clippers would be in the NBA championship finals. 
Um, I don't know if that Clippers thing is going to come through, but, but it looks like Philadelphia is putting themselves in position to see the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks, one of those two teams in the Eastern Conference semis or the Eastern Conference finals. But yeah, the Memphis Grizzlies, they're, they're, they're almost there. Don't know if they're quite ready for prime time yet. Uh, John Moran is just, you know, a beautiful, beautiful player to watch. Uh, he's he's involved himself or gotten himself involved in in some uh, some foolishness as of late, where it's like, hey man, the league is getting ready to hand over everything to you. Don't 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 mess it up just because you're trying to um, draw the love and attention of people who don't really matter, right? Like Anthony Anthony Edwards learned from that this off season, where you, you you're putting stuff on social media and you're talking crazy. Uh, just to get a few giggles out of people who, you know, um, you don't have to worry about their their affirmation anymore, if that makes any sense. Like, you you are a next-level person now. You're not just a player. You are a next-level person now. Um, you know, carry yourself and handle yourself like one, right? And and if people ain't riding with it and people think you're soft and, and, and ain't from the quote-unquote hood anymore, then those people probably don't need to be in your life. But doing all this capping and all this talking and all this tweeting and all this social media and internet games, like, that's how people get in trouble. And I'm going to keep it as funky as I possibly can uh, in my day. <laughs> I'm going to be the old head here. But in my day, um, gangsters didn't have to remind people that they were gangsters. They, they, they just did gangster shit. So, you know, if you got those dudes around you who are having to remind people all the time, then maybe maybe they uh, they protest a little too much, right? They, they, maybe they're putting it out there. But this was a Bulls game that I thought they would have trouble with, and they did have trouble, just not in the way that I thought they would have trouble. They, they couldn't hit a shot. They could not hit a shot. They were terrible from threes. Uh, Zach got to the line 17 times. 17 times, but he hit 10 of them, right? And that's uncharacteristic of Zach Levine. I think the physicality of that that perimeter defense put on by Desmond Bain, put on by Dylan Brooks, I think got to him. And it's one of those things where, you know, if you take an inventory of what this team is, once again, we can go back to physically, are they going to be able to withstand some of the tests when it is time to win here in the next year or two if the, if the pieces stay the same and continuity is going to be replicated over and over again, then are these pieces physically inclined enough to match up against the Phillies of the world, to match up against the Milwaukee's of the world, to match up against, you know, the Boston Celtics. Like, these are all physically imposing teams, strong dudes. Like Jason Tatum, you can think he's skinny all he wants. That's six foot ten of a powerful young man and scoring 26 a game and playing lockdown defense, right? You go, Marcus Smart, as, as much of an irritant as he is, that dude's a little running back, right? Like, they physically imposing squads. Those are the teams that win in, in, in the postseason because the rotations are whittled down. Uh, they, there's a little bit more clutching and grabbing that is allowed to happen because of the high stakes. Like, you got to start building out your game, not only from a mental standpoint and what you need to do in winning time moments, but also from a physical standpoint. I think this these are good tests and good shows and good barometers for guys like Ayo DeSumo, for guys like Patrick Williams when they're in the offseason and taking it back to the lab. These are the kind of games that should stick out because the Memphis Grizzlies were there for the taking on Tuesday night. They just weren't taken because the Bulls could not match that physical nature. And an on-ball defense is what took, took over. The Bulls turned the ball over 20 times against a team that wasn't shooting well, but you didn't get up more shots or, or a lot more possessions than them because you kept giving the ball to them. So it'll be interesting to see 
what they do at the trade deadline. If anything, I think the pieces that can move are guys like Andre Drummond. I think they'd have to get their, their you know, their, their, their socks knocked off to move an Alex Caruso, right? I think they have to get somewhere around a first-round pick or something like that. Uh, and, and I definitely don't think that Vooch, DeMar, and Zach have anything to worry about. Maybe some other guys, maybe some, you know, ancillary pieces, some dudes like Derek Jones Jr., you know, guys who are always um, fretting during this time probably because they're not on long-term contracts. But uh, for Bulls fans out there, I, I do not think that they're going to do anything drastic. Um, and my guy Casey Johnson, I always, uh, I always trust in him, and he thinks they're standing pat. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this Bulls team is what you got. Uh, we'll see what they have after the trade deadline is over when they get ready to take on the Brooklyn Nets team with uh, the hottest score in the NBA right now and the 21-year-old Cam Thomas who scored another 40-piece. It's three straight games. The young man has scored 40-plus points. This dude was at the end of the bench for them. <laughs> at the end of the bench. Like, he was the developmental guy who's like, ah, oh, you know, maybe we get some mop-up minutes. They get rid of Kyrie, Kevin Durant's out. All of a sudden, there's shots to be passed around and Cam Thomas is hitting them. So, uh, it'll be a formidable test because it's one of those sneaky games where is it a trap game? Is it a team you should take seriously? All in all, the Bulls have had inconsistent efforts. So uh, the Memphis game is one that I thought they would lose, but you didn't know how it would happen. And a 22-7 run down the stretch is how it happened because physically, I think they were outmatched. They didn't take care of the basketball, and they didn't have a closer down the stretch. Um, Zach Levine is a closer at times, but the things that we've seen from DeMar DeRozan and sometimes we take for granted over this last couple of years weren't uh, available. They weren't an option, and the Memphis Grizzlies knew that. They, they blitzed Zach Levine, put a lot of ball pressure on him, and he had a couple of bad possessions down the stretch where he turned the ball over and had a horrible three-point pull-up with like 11, 12 seconds on a shot clock in a situation where you didn't need that. So um, mental errors and physical errors come into play once again for a team that is, well, you know, just an average squad at 26 and 28. Time for some commercials. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Oh, Mr. Fishbang, how you doing, brother? I'm good, Jason. I'm doing better than the Bulls. <laughs> oh, dark. You know, I mean, I guess, but how many people are really doing better than Wolves, right? Like, you win some, you lose some, you have a couple of good days, you have one bad day, you have a few bad days, and you have a couple of good days. Maybe the Bulls are just a little snapshot of life in basketball shorts for everybody. Maybe that's There you go. Yeah, try to wake up every morning and try to be the best boots you could be, you know? Somebody (laughs) did this recently. Uh, Have you checked the Chicago sports record since the full go launched? Oh no! Like oh, pro, no. like like Chicago pro sports teams are having like the worst year. It's probably it's probably pretty bad. I got two hundred yeah. plus episodes now, so we we we're about a year and a half in on this thing, a year and a quarter in. Yeah, this is uh this is quite the uh. Thanks a lot. 
Kevin. Sorry. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Now, now you will be letting the ringer and Bill Simmons and all the people know that the reason why Chicago sports have been subpar this year has been because of the launching of this podcast. That's a, that's a great way to, 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 to step into this, this conversation with Kevin Fishbane. He, uh, he covers the Chicago Bears for The Athletic. And, and Kevin, always good to talk to you. Always good to see you here on these Zoom screens. Hopefully we can do it in person here soon as the uh, weather starts to break. I know it's going to be a little warmer here this weekend for Super Bowl Sunday, right? But before we get to that, my friend, you were at the Senior Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, right? I was, yeah. Mobile, Alabama. Set the scene for me because I have called down to the Senior Bowl to book guests many a time. In my radio career, uh, it was always a fun place to call down to because you never knew who was going to answer the phone or how they were going to answer the phone because Mobile, Alabama is a little bit of a getaway for coaches and for agents and the like and coaches trying to get jobs. But set the scene for somebody who's never been down to, is it still the Reese's Senior Bowl, if I'm not yep. mistaken? Yeah, yep. there's, Re- there's Reese's everywhere. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because it's uh yeah the entire NFL world descends on Mobile, Alabama. Like mm-hmm. you're you're walking the streets and you go into a little hotel bar, and you turn to your left, you see a general manager, and you turn to your right and see a head coach. You look, there's an offensive coordinator, there's a big time agent, there's you know the NFL Network stars. Uh, so there's your ringer colleagues you know, over at that table. So it's uh it's crazy to think that like this town year after year after year, it's where everybody goes and. I think that the NFL, there's a lot of people that want it out of Mobile, that want it to be in a, because the NFL would love to make it a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think a lot of these coaches and, and scouts, they like that they can just kind of, you know, sneak away to this place and not be bothered. Uh, they can go to these little bars and, and, and establishments and local watering holes. And um, there's, a, there's a place called Veets, V-E-E-T-S. And that is like, okay. it's a, right across the street from the main hotel. And it is like just your total uh, dive bar where you got the plastic cups and they've got a big Gatorade jug for water at the front. Not to be confused with Vito's and Bourbon A. Right, correct. Right, 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 right. right. So you've got, you know, you're seeing people with buckets of Coors Light bottles. It's just, and it's, and, and, and you, it's open through the night. And the first day of practice we all go to interview Luke Getze, Bears offensive coordinator, and he's wearing a Veets t-shirt, <laughs> which is just like, yeah, he's already that. Right. Yeah. He's, uh, he's already established himself. He's, he's, <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure it's just for like a five o'clock, oh, you know. of course. Yeah. A little yeah. sandwich, you know. Right. Yeah. Do they serve food at Veets, by the way? Let me, let me make sure. <laughs> or is it only a liquid establishment? <laughs> I, I've never been there at a time when I've needed, although maybe, maybe I have. I don't know. I was about to say. Yeah. We've all needed a sandwich in places yeah. like Beats, probably. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just it's a it's a unique environment for like such an important uh, week for the because this is also where like I know that they're not supposed to talk to each other, but you know these GMs are, yeah. you know I th- I think I saw somebody say the Russell Wilson trade kind of started at the Senior Bowl last year, so you know it's 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 really like kind of the official start to the off season, even though it's before the Super Bowl. All right, before we get into the week of practice and all the things leading up to where we are present day, uh, what was the the scuttlebutt 
around Mobile, Alabama? Like what was being talked about? It was there was there a certain riser, a certain faller? Is there the Tom Brady stuff being discussed? Uh, Aaron, where Aaron Rodgers is going to go? Uh, what people think about Justin Fields, uh, Luke Getze season? Like what was being talked about? Not only about amongst the 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 Bears media and yourself, but nationally. Uh, yeah. Well- Rodgers and Brady dominated the overall conversation and Sean mm-hmm. Payton. That happened like during a practice, the Sean Payton news and then D'Amico Ryan's right after that. I'll say this, when I got to Mobile it was the day after the conference championship games and that was where talking to people, everyone, the way people talk about D'Amico Ryan's, like you hope he's as good as everybody, as a head coach and a lot of those, a lot of times as you know, Jason, that could be out of your hands when you're mm-hmm. with an organization. Like there's certain things you, you could be the greatest head coach but um, people love the guy. And, and that was kind of one of the first things I heard. Week goes on. When I was talking to people down there, I wanted to know what they thought of Justin Fields. Like everybody I talked to, whether it was an agent, a scout, you know, somebody who worked for another team. Um, and there's a, there's this just like intrigue, curiosity, and a lot of questions. There, there is just, and, and I think there's a couple things in play here. Like everybody acknowledges he didn't have a lot around him, but we all know no offensive line, no wide receivers. First year in the new playbook, you know, Ryan Poles kind of stripped that thing down. Everybody acknowledges that. But there's a lot of like, can he do it? Like, can he be the passer he needs to be? Um, you know, I had one person say to me, he can't be Jalen Hurts. Like that would be the goal, you know, to get to that level where Jalen Hurts was, um, I mean, look, I mean, I don't think you saw what he did to his accuracy, the way that yeah. that jumped. So like, yeah. that's, that's where you'd like to see fields go. But there's a lot of people that are, I don't know, skeptical is too strong, but he I left tell enough you, room to, to question things in this yes, last year. Yeah. I just think that there's, there is a bit of a disconnect. I think with the, what the league thinks of Justin Fields and what a lot of people in Chicago want to believe about where Justin Fields is going. I think there's just How a so? lot of, like they just want to see more. They want to see the league. Yes, the league. Okay. Like they want okay. to see him. It's not Bears people that you know. This is just like you know, I, I, talking to other scouts and, and and other agents who you know, and like agents know the game really well. You know, obviously all these guys have agendas, um, but they have a good understanding of this game. And, and I think there's just a sense of what he did last year was something. I, I had one person tell me I've never seen anything like it. Never. Mm. Um, and then there's the but. But he can't continue to do that. So what's he going to look like when he has all these pieces around him? Can he be more accurate? Can he handle um, reading defenses a little bit better? So I just think there's a lot of like, no one, no one's doubting, you know, no one's saying trade him, right? You know, no one's saying that it's not going to pan out. But I just think that there's maybe more question marks um, and curiosity than there is like this, you know, jubilation, like he is the next thing. Yeah, and and you know, the, I think it's going to be interesting because in this Super Bowl that we're about to watch, Jalen Hurts is involved, and the Philadelphia Eagles probably one through fifty three have the better team, but on the other side is an undeniable comet of a talent in Patrick Mahomes, and when you have that guy, it's going to you know obviously in this instance, I mean, he lost Tyreek Hill, <laughs> you know, he lost he lost other guys off that receiving core throughout the year. Juju Smith Schuster gets lost. They they throw a practice squad a guy out there. I mean, the dude has a miraculous season and has a terrific playoff run, even with a high ankle sprain. So as long as you feel like you have that guy, then you are in the mix. 
the, the Philadelphia Eagles part of this equation, though, and, and I want to run this by you because I don't know if it was Hogan Johns that I was listening to or if it was Bomani and, and Dominique Foxworth. And by the way, though, so quite the juxtaposition in, in, in those in, the, in those two entities. I was, was going to say. <laughs> Shout out to both, by the way. Yes. Shout out to both groups. Uh, but the, 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 somebody was talking about how the NFL being cyclical and now that the, with the acceptance of the mobile quarterback and how you have to now have a, a game planner or a play caller who can be creative enough and exotic enough to put in these things that you have to win from the pocket with, but also there might be a callback to the old school, hey, you see how little these linebackers are? And you see how two high safeties and cover three rule the day nowadays in NFL football? Maybe, just maybe, we need to start running motherfuckers over again, right? Like, you see Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gaywell and Boston Scott, like, they, they ran for more touchdowns as a team this year than I think a lot of people realize. Do you think that is the the next wave of NFL football if your offense and your quarterback allows you to do that? Do you think that is the case maybe in the next coming years with this Justin Fields Chicago Bears thing where we're looking for that 35 passing touchdown season 68 plus percent accuracy and four to five hundred yards but maybe just maybe we need to start talking about total touchdowns and who the hell is behind him and that is explosive enough to bust some of those long runs and what this offensive line needs to look like uh, do you think that that may be coming into play a little bit more here in the nfl or is it win from the pocket or die yeah i'll tell you two things i heard at the senior bowl and i'll throw a uh, for your uh, for your 670 to score listeners, a little throwback to Terry when you say, okay. my guy, my guy told yeah, me. Yeah, my guy. Uh, my yeah, guy Terry, Terry always had a guy. Right? Yeah, always. So, always had a guy. <laughs> always so had a guy. I, one guy say to me, he said, the next eight to 10 years is all about the athletic quarterback. He said, Jalen Hurts is what teams are going to want to find. And what he, what he said is, they want to find Jalen Hurts who can throw from the pocket. Who can who can do both, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think if you look back at Field's season, like every time, pretty much every one of his deep balls was from the pocket. Darnell Mooney, Giants, um, EQ, he hit one in the Green Bay game. I think there was a little bit of a movement uh, on a play action, but he can't. He's capable of doing it. Um, so I think that was interesting. And then another person I talked to said, so much of this is on Luke Getzey, and how is he going to scheme this up? And we saw a bit of an evolution of Luke Getzey. And, you know, Getzey was funny because he always downplayed the whole design runs and, right, you know, right. change at, at the mini buy. But here's the thing. What, what is Getzey? Getzey is a quarterback. What do quarterbacks want to do? It's throw the ball. So I, I you know, was, it, I don't want to, I want to be careful with the Matt Nagy comparison, but like that is just the set. Like these guys are just ingrained to win games with like throwing the ball 35, 40 times a, a game. And that wasn't the way the Bears were going to win. It, they still didn't win, but you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they put up points. So I do think, you, I think you're right. I think that the league is going in this direction where you got to have athletic quarterbacks. And then the, the, it's always going to be that, how do you balance it? So these de- the, the cover three, all these defenses are going to come up. You're going to have these, I mean, you have these guys too. Go back to that Lions game at Soldier Field. Aiden Hutchinson wrecked that game. I know Justin Fields had an incredible, another incredible rushing game, but Aiden Hutchinson changed that game for the Lions. So you get these, Will Anderson could be the next one. You get these guys who just impact the game. That's going to limit uh, maybe someone like Fields from moving around. So, yeah, I think that for the Bears for next year, it's okay. We know Justin Fields has this unicorn quality to him. 
How do we harness that? But we got to keep them healthy. And then when a team does figure out, hey, we can contain this, can can he throw from pocket? I mean, you're asking a lot, but if he is who they want him to be, who he can be, he should be able to handle all of it. All right, Luke Getzey. What after this year of play calling and after the mini buy and, you know, stealing some of the sauce from the Ravens and some of the other things that he implemented and, and some of the issues that we saw in terms of play call consistency throughout the year, what do you think he learned most? And, and, and what, if you were putting together a profile of what you expect going into next season after what you saw this year and what you had during senior week, senior bowl week, uh, what's next for Luke Getze for you? Yeah, it's a good question because, Jason, it was so hard to evaluate this offense. And that 100%. includes Getsy, right? Because yeah, it's like, yeah. you look who Fields is throwing to, you look who's blocking for him. Like, it's it's tough. And so, and then that goes back to play calling. Well, what's Getsy working with? Like, what can he, what could he realistically, like when Darna Mooney went, went down and then you looked at that offensive line, like what could Getsy realistically dial up for these guys? Um, so I, I think that Getsy probably learned as the season went along, how to trust Fields just run. Like, trust him, just let him go. And, 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 you know, put, not put in a play for backyard football, but trust that, you know, that's going to, that, that can help him. Um, and, and moving the pocket and all those things. And then I think with every one of these people, from, from Matt Eberflus to Luke Getze, it's what do these guys do when they have more talent around them? Like, I'm just so interested to see if they get a dynamic receiver and a really good tackle and guard. What does the playbook look like? How does mm-hmm. Getsy continue to adjust? Does he try to turn Fields into a solely pocket passer, or is he able to blend what Fields can do? So, I mean, I think that the Senior Bowl was a good experience for Getsy. He, I mean, he's probably going to be a head coach one day. Uh, I, I don't know when, but I, th- I think he will be. He's very... Uh, he enjoyed senior bowl week as I kind of alluded to earlier, you know, <laughs> but he's, he's a very, he's a very process driven guy. Um, but I'll say this and, and you heard it too. He wasn't afraid to criticize fields, but did it in a respectful, like manageable way. Right. Because the other thing too is fields is hard on himself. Like if you ask fields after a game about an interception, he breaks down every little part of it. I think there's a little part of Fields. This is just me uh, guessing here. I think there's a little part of him that's the edge to Fields that he wants to make sure everybody knows he wasn't just throwing it to throw it. Like there was a reason he threw the ball where he threw the ball and he knew what he did wrong. And I think he wants people to understand that about him because of some of the stuff that came out when he was coming out in the draft. So all these things, like I I know you didn't ask about, but man, Eberflus, like I don't know what kind of coach he's going to be. Like I I saw what I saw this year. there were some things that impressed me here and there, but I don't know. Like when they have everything. They lost 10 games in a row down the stretch. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, but they did it. And there's like, there wasn't a whole lot of like, should he challenge, should he not challenge? Is this good timeout right. usage? Like, we just didn't get that kind of game management stuff from him. And like, frankly, half the guys on the roster aren't going to be here next year. Mm-hmm. So, like, the whole buy in stuff too is a little tough to judge. So, a lot of these guys, it's like, all right, if you, if you have a good team, what kind of leader are you going to be then? All right. I know guys got on the grass, but before we get into getting on the grass, which all coaches love to say, I got the guys on the grass. Funniest or most surprising moment player and coach down there in Mobile, Alabama for the week. Okay. So 
the Bears have an assistant special teams coach named Carlos Polk. And which Bears fans probably don't know that. He's a Rockford guy. Grew up a Bears fan. Okay. Was a, was a stud at Nebraska. I mean, this guy was a like all Nebraska linebacker, all world guy. One of those incredible college linebackers who just his NFL, he was a really good special teamer, was in the league for seven, eight years. And he was a special teams coordinator down there. And you heard him everywhere. And you saw him <laughs> everywhere. And I kind of knew what to expect because I've been at practices. But if you ever pay attention to the Bears sideline during a game, especially during a special teams play, there's one guy running up and down the sideline, jumping up and down, hooting and hollering at the players, at the referee. And that's Carlos Polk. So it was fun to see that like in person and to see the players react to it. And I talked to him afterwards and you know, he knows it. He's like, I got to make sure these guys understand who have never played special teams before in their lives. That like, this is their ticket. This is their ticket to an NFL roster. This is their ticket to be a 10-year NFL player, potentially, for some of these guys. So that was kind of a fun thing for me to see in person and to see other people react to him. Because I, I had an idea what to expect. I saw in practice, he's a fun guy. Um, hopefully, he'll get to a special teams coordinator job. I think he's been an assistant for 12 years now. Okay. Yeah. So like he was the coach that, that I was kind of watching. And um, I mean, players, I was watching Adetami out of Bari from Northwestern, you know, of course. And he was great. Of course, of course, of course he was great. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, Kevin Fishbane is a Northwestern sycophant. He is a man who is, um, who has pledged his entire life and his child to uh, the purple. And why wouldn't you, by the way? Shout out to Evanston. Shout out to Northwestern. Great university, great institution of higher learning and uh, one of the one of the uh, schools that participates in football in the Big Ten as well. I mean, they got the tackle, right? Was it Peter Skaronsky, yep. uh, who everybody's looking at? Uh, Northwestern has been kicking out some professionals. Uh, you know, they do it every single year. So I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm just poking fun at them a little bit. Um, most intriguing or fascinating player? I remember the Senior Bowl, I don't know now, what, a decade ago now, where everybody got it. Well, I didn't because I, for some reason, was staying up and watching Pitt football or you know, ACC football for some reason. Saw Aaron Donald compete but when he got down to the senior bowl he was rag ragdolling people and people were like wait a minute i think we might have a short stout better in shape worn sap out here and he's going on to be one of the greatest defensive players of all time because he let uh he let it fly down there in mobile alabama uh was there anybody who had similar exploits or who coaches just couldn't stop talking about uh the will mcdonald is the edge rusher from iowa state who kind of abuse tackles throughout the week. And then he didn't play in the game, which I think was a sign of he he, he did what he's he had done to enough do. here. Right? He doesn't need to, doesn't need to risk injury. That that's one of like the challenges I think the senior bowl's having. Like A, that it's hard for them to get really some a bunch of first round guys. And then when they do get good players who have a great week, then those guys are skipping out of the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I like all the power to them, I'm not gonna, you know I, I get it. But he was a guy in practice, I think he's six three, long you know, muscular spin move on one rep and the next rep he bowls the guy over. And I love seeing the versatility um, of the guy. So he was probably the one. I'll give you one more. Jaden Reed was a wide receiver in Michigan State. He's a Naperville guy. Um, so, uh, you know, a little local flavor. A bunch, a bunch of local guys in this draft. You mentioned Skaronsky from Maine mm-hmm. South. John Michael Schmitz, the next uh, great center from a suburban high school home in Flossmoor. There you go. HF in the house. Yeah, he went to uh, play to Minnesota in a good week. Um, there's, uh, yeah, I mentioned Reed, Michigan State, Naperville. So there's a few guys, um, local guys, but Reed was probably the best receiver of the week. And he's pretty fast and 
the guys were a little smaller receivers, 5'10", uh, I believe, for Reed. But, you know, look, if you can get open, you can catch passes. I think we've all seen the league. It doesn't really matter how big you are. Anybody going into the combine and the rest of this draft process now that has to do some catch-up work because of what they showed out there in the week? Uh, you know, so Dewan James was the mammoth right tackle from Ohio State. He's 6'8". I don't know if he was catch board, but he, he the first practice, he just mauled people, and then he was done. I think he got hurt. So with him, it's, okay, what was that injury? And then there's all, everybody like wanted to see more of him. And you're not going to see that, obviously, the rest of the way. But he's someone I'm really interested in. You know, what's he measured at the combine? How's he looking at position drills? How's he looking at his pro day? Because he's, you know, he could be maybe the first right tackle taken. Um, And look, Bears, if they love Braxton Jones on the left side, now I don't think they should hand him that job if they have an opportunity to get a really good left tackle. I think you, you do that. But if they're in that spot, you know, I think there's a couple good right tackles you can get in the second round um, that the Bears can keep an eye on. All right, we're a few weeks, a month or so, right? About a month, right? Uh, removed from the regular season, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, zooming out from what that season was and now taking a clearer look and understanding what the cap number is and what you're allocated in terms of, you know, the rookie scale and, uh, sorry, the rookie, um, the Ricky allotment and, you know, signing, uh, you know, Equinemius St. Brown and figuring out what your team is going to look like before you really jump into free agency. Uh, what is actually out there? I've heard DeAndre Hopkins mentioned a couple of times. I mean, the free agents wide receivers aren't anything to write home about. But then again, if you take a look at what Trevor Lawrence had to deal with in the, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, they went out and threw some money at two or three guys who people considered, you know, second tier guys and Christian Kirk, but the cream of the crop for the class. And Christian Kirk had a nice season. Evan Engram had himself a Pro Bowl season, a highly talented player who out of Ole Miss maybe didn't deliver what the Giants fans thought he should in this early going and now has come around to being one of the better tight ends. What should Bears fans start to kind of target mentally in terms of names you should keep an eye on or where the Bears might be interested in upgrades before the draft? Uh, Two ways I'll answer that. One, Bears fans just dream. Just have fun. <laughs> dream big. You know, dream big. Why not? I would say that I, I don't, I never want to knock somebody, uh, you know, let, let them have their fun. I, I've seen on Twitter some like my projected Bears phrase at Hall, and it's like seven starting players, you know, <laughs> 20 million a year each. Oh, and by the way, they're going to trade the number one pick and get 17 first round picks. And they're gonna, like, I, I love it. Keep, you know, keep doing you. On the other hand, it's, it's an average free agent class and at wide receiver, it's super average. Um, they're going to bring in a dynamic receiver. It's going to be through trade. I don't know if that means DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know like what you're getting from him. I saw people talking about Keenan Allen today. I, I, again, I don't know what you're getting from him. I know there's a lot of excitement about T Higgins, but like the, here's what happened, Jason. And I get it. All those guys last year who demanded trades and they got traded. You know, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill. So now it's like you're the Bears. You're like, well, we have all the cap space. We have the draft capital. Let's get the next one of those guys because that's the best way you're going to find a receiver. Um, so, but you just it's you just never know which of those players can become available. But that is the Bears' best chance. I think the position to watch in free agency is defensive tackle because it's a major need for the Bears. It's such a crucial position in Matty Rufus's defense, and there's some actually really good players 
entering free agency. Deron Payne, Washington. Uh, Javon Hargrave, Philadelphia. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name from Denver, who had another who had a really good year. Uh, that's a position that is deep. It's an expensive position. But if you're looking ahead of the draft, do you spend 12, 13, 14 million per year on one of these guys? And then you don't have to take Jalen Carter. Um, do you spend that money and you still take Jalen Carter and you have the best interior D line in the league? You know, so I, I think that's the position where there's some real dudes out there who are going to get paid. The Bears have the money. It's a position in need. Um, I, I, I'd just be very curious to see how that all kind of trickles down um, and, and how Ryan Poles handles it. Because, you know, you know it, Jason. He, he spent big on one guy last year and then that guy failed his physical. Yeah. And then he spent big on another guy and the Bills matched the offer sheet. That was Ryan Bates. And then everybody else was just bargain hunting. And I get mm-hmm. it. I think we all understand um, but now is our really interesting scenario where we we will get to know Ryan Poles a lot better uh, in the next three months. What was the conversation surrounding the Bears' number one overall draft pick? The Bears controlled the draft, and a lot of teams are moving. Like you know, watching the Tom Brady situation, watching the Aaron Rodgers situation, watching the Lamar Jackson situation. Like, there's a lot of different factors of teams maybe swinging and missing, or talking to third parties about trying to get quarterbacks that'll change the direction of their franchise. New coaches are being hired. Like the Houston Texans have D'Amico Ryan's. I want to know who that offensive coordinator is going to be, and if they look at an Anthony Richardson and say. Hey, uh, if y'all think that Bryce Young is the number one pick, we don't think Anthony Richardson is that far off. We don't have to s- sacrifice the farm, you know, for the next couple of years because we have to build as well. Like, what what are some of the different scenarios and moving pieces surrounding not only the Bears' number one pick, but some of these teams that are in the market for a young quarterback, which the Bears are not? Yeah, Jason, I think if this was five years ago, I don't think anybody's trading the number one. Um, I think now there's just this understandable obsession with finding your franchise quarterback in the draft. And you've got an owner down the road, down I-57, is that what it is in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. who desperately wants a quarterback. You've got an owner in Houston who probably desperately wants a quarterback. Um, you've got a really, really rich owner in Carolina that has gone through a couple seasons of some really mediocre veteran quarterbacks probably really wants a rookie quarterback to pair with his offensive head coach. So I just think that, like, I always, I've been cautioning fans, like, be prepared for the possibility that nobody will go up because they, they know the Bears aren't going to... But you know, what, you know what, Jason? You know what the Bears have to do? They have to figure out a way to do... Essentially what, I don't want to say what the 49ers did, but I, I forgot, I, I might have I, I might have said this on, on uh, with Lawrence and, and, and Dan Bernstein a couple weeks ago. I've always been of the, of the mind that the Bears did not trade out for Mitch Trubisky because they thought the, that the 49ers, because obviously the 49ers were going to trade him or mm-hmm. pick him, they wouldn't have traded the pick. They were getting good intel that other teams were moving up to that spot for Trubisky. Now, obviously, that was the wrong guy. We all know that. But if you're Brian Pace and he's the guy that you want and you're getting you're catching wind that somebody else is going to move up to number two, you got to go get him. So I think for the Bears, you know, they got Ryan Poles has got to play a little game of telephone <laughs> and, and try to get these teams going after you know going against each other 
to convince somebody because no, I, none of these teams are going to sit there. If you're Houston, like y- y- the Bears aren't going to take Bryce Young. So why should you move up? Well, because you have to move up because you're afraid that your division rival is going to move up. So it's going to be some interesting chess games for Ryan Poles over the next couple of months. I, I, I'm sure the Bears would love to trade that pick. I'm sure there's a bunch of teams that want that pick. I just want to be careful because there is a scenario that exists that nobody comes up and takes it. All right, we got Super Bowl 57 coming up, what, three days from now? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, two really, really fine teams. I mean, one team that seemingly is in this situation every other year, if not every year. The Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I, I think we don't talk enough about the the dynasty that they already are and probably will continue to be as long as Patrick Mahomes is upright. And then you got Jalen Hurts and this Philadelphia Eagles squad who, you know, 70-something sacks for the defense and that offensive line is outstanding. They've got so many really, really good role players who are being stars in their role. Like Hassan Reddick comes out of nowhere and is playing like a, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate. You know, Fletcher Cox is amazing. You know, Hargrove and all these dudes putting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, what do you think happens in a game where it seems to me like my my head is telling me that the Philadelphia Eagles should win this football game? But man, it's hard to go against that alien wearing number 15. Right? Like the Eagles are so deep everywhere. And then it's like, do you really want to go against Patrick Mahomes? Right? Like, do you really want to sit there in the fourth quarter and he's running around and then just flings a 60 yard pass downfield? <laughs> right. right. And you're sitting there being like, oh, I thought the Eagles were going to win. And then Mahomes does Mahomes things. I mean, that is the, that's kind of the, the, not the X factor because Mahomes, but that's a difference maker to me. I'm curious to see if you go back to Super Bowl two years ago when Todd Bowles' Bucks defense just totally wrecked everything Kansas City was going to do. Philly has the guys that can do that, but what's that chess match? How did Kansas City, what did they learn from that Super Bowl a couple of years ago? How are they going to use that to keep Philadelphia's defensive line at bay as best they can? On the other side, the Chris Jones matchup against that Eagles offensive line is going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife loves the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line Christmas album. Uh, so she's kind of leaning towards the Eagles. Um, <laughs> and it's funny cause like she was at, she was asking me like, who do you root for? Like who we, like we should root for somebody, right? We should pick a team. Like every was, time, right? People just want you to, Hey, who are you rooting for? Oh, good guy. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what exactly. I'm rooting for. <laughs> like she, she loved Joe Burrow, right? So she was all on the Burrow train. So we were, you know, we were rooting for the Bengals. It's a fun team to root for. Burrow's a fun guy to root for. Well, now it's here. She's like, well, I love that Eagles offensive line, but it's Patrick Mahomes. And she, here, I'll, 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 I, I think I know the answer, especially because I know there's a podcast on your network about it. She asked me, she goes, which fan base is going to be more insufferable if they win? Oh. Oh, 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 you already know the vibes. You, you yeah, know what's know. happening. You already you know. know. Oh, Eagles, the flight of the Eagles. No, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. And on top of it, speaking of your lady, I, I, I mine has yet to see who the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback is because she really doesn't give a damn about sports. But, fellas, Sunday, I'm going to tell you all this right now. And this is, this is a tip from your, your, your Uncle Jay. When Jalen Hurts takes his helmet off, make sure all the women in your house are looking the other way because you're going to come up short. All right? I'm just letting y'all know that now. That is that is a handsome man. He is his his, his leadership style and all the things like he is he is as 
put together and uh, like in terms of demeanor, you know what I mean? Confidence without being arrogant, even though you know it's in there because I can appreciate it. That's the swag that I like about him. But yeah, man, Philadelphia Eagles got themselves a cover boy for as long as he wants to play football. And also a terrific story, right? I mean, you know, loses his job to the guy that's quarterback of the Miami Dolphins right now, goes to Oklahoma, plays for, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley and, and who, who then goes to USC after that. Like, Jalen Hurts has got quite the story and, and it's hard because if there was anybody else besides Patrick Mahomes, I'd be rooting for him in this joint. But, you know, I I, I think we're going to get a good game either way, though. Who, who do you think wins this one? Oh, I, I I picked the Chiefs for the athletics, so I'll, I guess I'll have to stick with that. Again, goes back to the Mahomes factor. Uh, I'm just going to I'm just gonna stick with Mahomes and Andy Reid because, I mean, Nick Sirianni's been a great story this year. Um, my colleague Bo Wolf wrote a really good piece about how w- he really tricked us all with that opening press conference. Sirani did, um, mm-hmm. and, and and look at him now. So <laughs> when well, we thought something was wrong with him, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, uh, I'll go. I, I'm with you. I hope it's a close game. I, I'll say one thing about Jalen Hurts compared to the Bears is Justin Fields might be wired similarly, and that would be really good for the Bears' future because Jalen Hurts is just wired different, right? And and I think Fields has a little bit of that in him, if not a lot of that in him. But we just haven't been able to see it because they've lost so many games. But I just think that if Fields can get on a roll, if this team can get on a roll, you look at the way Jalen Hurts is as a competitor and a guy who just, all he did was win. Um, can Fields get to that level? Does he have that kind of intangible mm. in him? Because To get better. Like, yeah, and I just, yeah, because like you, you heard the stories of what Hurts did to improve his accuracy. And like, yeah. I think we all know what Fields does in the offseason. He works. But there's just something different about the way Jalen Hurts operates. You hear that from people who have talked to him, who have covered him. And like people who are close to Fields or coached Fields, they all say that about him. And I'm not doubting that he doesn't have it. I think he probably does. We just haven't been in the, you know, this team just isn't what. So if you go back to that, can the Bears be the Eagles? I think that's part of that. Can Fields not only be hurt as a pocket passer, but can Fields have that kind of championship mentality that that Jalen Hurts exudes, which has been pretty fun to watch all year? Well, Kevin, I know I pay for my subscription because I love the work <laughs> that you put out over there at The Athletic. And uh, I know everybody else is appreciative as well. I love hearing you jump on the podcast that I hear you jump on. I'm so glad you do it every once in a while with us, my man. You have a great Super Bowl Sunday. You and the family, give the little one a hug and kiss for me. And I'll, I'll see you soon, brother. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic right here on the Full Go Podcast. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to the full goal with Jason Goff presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. All right, while we were talking to Kevin Fishbane, I was completely enthralled by all of Fish's answers. Don't get me wrong. But while we were doing that, LeBron James became the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. And one, I want to say congratulations to him. And, you know, I don't take like moments like this for granted because I am a a fan of basketball. I have been since I was a kid. Uh, It is the sport that has allowed me to travel all around this country. It is the sport that has introduced me to some near and dear friends that I value to this day. 
uh, is a sport that has allowed me to broadcast on a bunch of different platforms and and talk about it. And, and I'm truly grateful. Uh, I love basketball. So when people hear me talk about LeBron, especially in this city, uh, they may think, oh, well, you know, he's, he's riding LeBron's jock and, you know, he's in Chicago. Why does he talk about him in this way? Listen, I love Michael Jordan and his exploits as much as the next guy. No, not maybe not as much as the next guy because some of y'all are just ridiculous. Like some of y'all, they're like LeBron. You know, uh, not LeBron. Mike has never missed a shot. Uh, he's never he's never been ousted. A, you know, out of a playoff series or whatever the case may be. But in this moment, um, I, I I would like to one. I, I did something that I didn't want to do, which is mention Mike at all in this segment. But in this moment, I'd like to you know extol the virtues of one of the greatest talents that we've ever seen. And, and I tweeted out that he's the greatest overall talent. And when I think of the word GOAT, right, when we think of greatest of all time, well, you can substitute some of those letters and move some of those things around. And, and to me, GOAT means GOAT greatest overall talent when it comes to LeBron James. Yeah, if you want to take one game situation and say who you want to take, is it Michael Jordan? Fine. If you want to take most dominant of all time, you want to go with Wilt, you want to go with Kareem, you want to go with Shaq, fine. If you want to go with greatest shooter of all time, you want to go Ray Allen, you want to go Steph Curry, whatever you want to do from way back in the day, Jerry West, um, Pistol Pete, Larry Bird, fine. Reggie Miller, all Dale Ellis, all of, fine, whatever, even though we all know Steph is the greatest. You want to go greatest passer of all time? Magic Johnson, you know, guys like that, John Stockton, fine. But if you were to build a basketball player and if the conversation stops with one player, to me, the six foot eight, six foot nine, 250 pound phenomenon out of St. Vincent, St. Mary, who has been doing this for 20 years, who isn't really a drop dead score. And all the conversations that you want to have about Kobe and about Michael Jordan, about Carmelo Anthony, about Kevin Durant, those are what I think of when I think of scores. LeBron James is top three all time, if I'm not mistaken, in average points per game. So for all the people who treat this like some counting stat, and, oh, he had to wait 20, he had to do it for 20 years, you know, running around like he's, you know, Steve DeBerg or somebody out here, you know, just chalking up, you know, stop after stop and year after year while, while not playing at a high level. This man, I believe, is third or fourth all time in scoring average, you know, and, and let's face it, he's fifth. He's fifth and he's like percentage, like he's like 0.01 points behind the third leading scorer, who I believe is Elgin Baylor. Michael Jordan has the top overall scoring average per game as a drop dead, roll out of bed, go get you 30 guy. So for us to witness what we've witnessed over the last 20 years in a dude who has prided himself on making the right play, right? The right play. and and been and been, you know, tread upon and 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 um and ostracized and talked about and hated on and and disrespected because he turned down shots here or there. Well, he's got five, count them five, playoff buzzer beaters, which is most all time, right? He's got two in the regular season and five in his career all time. The man is an 18 time all NBA selection. An 18-time, if I'm not mistaken, all-star performer. 18 times the man has been to the all-star game. Four-time NBA Finals MVP, four-time NBA champion, and now 
He's got the most points in NBA history to go along with the fourth most assists in NBA history. You could talk about Mike, and I wouldn't begrudge you at all because I love the game and I respect everything that Michael Jordan has done. But I think in these moments, over these next couple of days, as we get ready to run up against the Super Bowl, which, by the way, isn't it LeBron-like? Isn't it LeBron's luck? The dude who, let's not get it twisted, LeBron is very calculated, very measured, and he cares deeply what people think about him. Deeply what people think about him. People are going to talk about this for the next two or three days and then get right on to the Super Bowl. If that. If that, because now we got the media days coming up and there's going to be some weird questions being answered over these next couple of days. But if you're a basketball fan like I am, hell, if you're not, that's fine. But if you're a basketball fan like I am, take a moment to realize what you witnessed. This record stood for 38 years, man. 38 years. And for all the conversations that we've had about LeBron, one thing that I think that we, that we can all say is you can't feel cheated by this career. If you've rooted against it for the last 20 years, hell, you've got 20 years of enjoyment and entertainment out of just rooting against something, right? He brought back NBA villainhood, right? When the Miami Heat became a thing, there you were on one side or the other. You either was looking forward to whatever that show was going to be, or you knew exactly right then and there who you wanted to hate and who you needed to hate for the next four years. The man has won championships with three different franchises now. Um, He's a, he's a couple-time uh, Olympian gold medalist. Uh, all in all, when, when I talk to my son, who is six years old, when I talk to him down the road about the greatest basketball players that I've ever seen or ever had a chance to cover or ever had a chance to watch up close, LeBron James would definitely be in that conversation. And if you want to argue that he is the greatest of all time, I'm not mad at you. If you want to argue that he isn't the greatest of all time, I'm not mad at you, but I would implore you, if you are a basketball fan, if you are a sports fan, just take a moment to realize the time that you have been uh, been able to live through, right? I didn't get a chance to see Babe Ruth. Didn't get a chance to see Muhammad Ali, right? I mean, Wayne Gretzky was happening at the similar time, you know, parallel to uh, to Michael Jordan's career a little bit, right? But it was hockey, right? But you knew what Wayne Gretzky was. Hey, if he never scored a goal, he'd still be the all-time leading scorer in NHL history. Like, that is dominance that will never be replicated, no matter what sport we're talking about. We lived through the steroid era when Sammy and Mark were doing their thing, and Barry Bonds was like, hey, by the way, y'all, I'm trying to be the greatest player of all time. Why don't y'all talk about me here in Pittsburgh? All right, I'm going to go to San Francisco and do this thing. All through that. And all through these rides of sports over the last 20 some odd years that I've been graced and blessed to, to have a microphone or be in front of somebody's camera, we've had scandals, we've had rises, we've had falls, we've had cheating, we've had improprieties, we've had um, you know violence by iconic athletes or athletes that we revered, all these things. But to encapsulate the ride that LeBron James has gone on, and it's been a bumpy one, don't get it twisted. Because all the things that LeBron James has professed to be, sometimes he's fallen short of, right? I mean, I, I think about the Tamir Rice situation uh, in Cleveland and how long it took for him to speak up on that and say that he didn't, you know, he, he didn't have enough information on it, but he had spoken up with uh, the same information on many other things. But it, it was right there in his backyard and there were public and private pressures, right? Like he's had missteps. If you want to count the, um, the decision, 
as a misstep? I don't. <laughs> I won't. But looking back on it, it has become less and less significant than it was in the time and in the moment. Hell, I remember going back to the Yellow Hummer days where he got the the Yellow Hummer V, uh, the, the Yellow Hum V, and all of a sudden everybody's like, "How did how did he get this truck? Did they put it in his mom's name?" Like, look back and think about how insignificant that was back then, when everybody and their mama knew that he was going pro, and that's where the story lands me because. I, and I I tell this story as often as I possibly can, I was on the phone with Sonny Vaccaro when I was putting him on the radio for a show that I was producing. And he and I had talked leading up to that every once in a while, right? Because, you know, I tried to stay in the loop with the basketball heavies. And he told me on the phone, hey, Jason, I have the greatest player of all time in my camp right now. I'm like, ah, Sonny, you're just selling your camp. You just, you know, I could dig it. You know, laughing around with him. He's like, no, 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 no. No, I got, <laughs> I got Dominique Athleticism, Carl Malone build, and Magic Johnson vision. I'm like, all right. That player that he was talking about was LeBron James. And I remember watching LeBron James as a high school senior <laughs> on ESPN before it was cool to have high school games on ESPN and thinking to myself, damn, he wasn't lying. He just moved differently. And you could tell, like, some guys just dominate, you know, high school crowds, high school athleticism, high school competition, but the passes that he was making. And, and I'm a guy who, you know, Scottie Pippen was my favorite bull. Like Michael Jordan, it was the greatest bull of all time. But Scottie Pippen was my guy as a, as a youngster because everybody loved Mike and I love Mike as well. But I love the fact that Scottie Pippen was the dude who was asked to play defense on the toughest player when it was time because go back and look at that 91 series and who turned that series on its head against Magic Johnson. It was Scottie Pippen, right? And and what Scottie was asked to do and how his talents kind of were pushed to the side, but he was a point forward. So to see LeBron James in that moment as a 17, 18-year-old and think to myself, man, this dude, if Sonny Vaccaro was right, This dude has a chance to be one of the greatest players of all time. I remember watching the first game against Sacramento with my uncle in my grandmother's basement. It was like, yo, this is going to be special. Let's watch this game. And the dude stepped on the court with NBA players who all knew that he was coming. Number one pick overall, bullseye on his head. And he went out and got 25 and five without sweating, without blinking. Knocked down a, a, was it like a 15, 16 foot? short corner baseline jumper for his first bucket. And watching that game, thinking to myself, he seems so in place, right? You see sometimes guys seem out of place. He seems so in place. And for him, for the next 20 years, to have the rise and the falls and the rise again, to, 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 to be in Cleveland for six or seven years where you're looking at Mo Williams, Zadrunas Hilgoskis, Luke Jackson, and the, those types, Larry Hughes and the likes, Right? Mike Brown is your head coach. Shout out to Mike Brown who's doing his thing in Sacramento right now. And then say, you know what? Because of that Jordan pressure, I got to win a championship here soon or else people ain't going to respect what this truly is. I mean, hell, he took the Cleveland Cavaliers to the finals as a 21-year-old. 21 turning 22 against San Antonio and Greg Popovich. And of course, they had no chance, but he took them there as a kid. So 
the rise of LeBron James, I, I think, has been absolutely exquisite to watch. And there have been no athletes who have been as hyped as he is and was coming into a sport and then to have surpassed those expectations. All the King James stuff, all the Chosen One stuff, he won championships and it wasn't enough, right? He, he won championships in multiple different cities, in, in Cleveland, in Miami, and in L.A. And we ain't even going to get into the bubble championship because all the people, like, you can tell where people are really at with it when it's like, ah, that don't count. Uh, uh, ask Paul George and the L.A. Clippers how, how easy it was to play in the bubble where all the things that you play for and all the people that you play for aren't around, right? Like, oh, where, where, you know, you can't just go out after a great game and show this, show the, you know, the city they born, like, ah, look at me, bask in the glow that, and the greatness that is me, NBA player. No, your ass is over there playing pickleball against retired referees the next day, right? Like, the bubble, and I can't wait for the documentary because the bubble, I think, was a lot more nerve-wracking than a lot of people would like, and it was the purest form of basketball the purest form of basketball that we have witnessed in a very, very, very long time. So all in all, congratulations to LeBron James. He is the NBA's all-time leading scorer, 38,390 points and counting, having his shorties right there on the front row, having his two boys sitting next to each other on the baseline, and then having his daughter and his, and his wife sitting next to each other courtside. is a beautiful scene. I'm looking forward to going back and watching it because I appreciate the history of the game. I appreciate the game, period. And, and I hope, you know, if there's one night or if there's one day, or if there's one week that you choose to enjoy what LeBron James has brought for 20 years, I hope this is the day. I hope this is the night. I hope this is the week. Because, um, you know, with the passing of Kobe and, and all the other things that we do when it comes to players, you mess around and miss great careers if you blink. Or if you, if you try too hard to rake it over the coals or decipher what it is or what it wasn't, like, enjoy the artistry in the moment. That's what I ask for, for, for basketball fans out there, for sports fans out there. And I know it's a tough ask here in the city of Chicago, especially, you know, for a lot of people, it feels like if you acknowledge LeBron James, then, you know, that means you're casting aside Michael Jordan. Nah, man, we know how to celebrate greatness in this city. We know what greatness looks like. And if you have been watching LeBron James' career over the last 20 years, like I know we all have, right? 2011 was a special time. When, when, when Chicago Bulls fans knew, just knew in their hearts that this was going to be something that we were going to see over and over and over again. And that was, that was after the Cleveland runs <laughs> that, that, that he was out here, you know, ousting the Bulls in the playoffs. But unfortunately, with Derrick Rose's knee and, uh, you know, what happened between Tibbs and the front office, the Bulls couldn't keep that thing together. And it just speaks to the greatness. Like, how many, how many David Duvalls and how many Davis Loves has this dude went up against? You remember all the dudes that people tried to bring up when it was time to talk about who was better than Tiger, who was next up? And Tiger walked down every single one of them. I think the same thing can be said. And not only that, but the way that he's carried himself over the last 20 years. Uh, I had an argument one time in an open gym with my main man, uh, Wayne, who does a lot of the emceeing for Nike events and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff around the basketball community. One, one of the funniest dudes, he's on the uh, the pod with Lil Rail. Um, 
me and him had this heated argument about what the league was going to be missing once LeBron James hung it up. And he was like, no, no, the league ain't going to fall off. And I'm like, man, it is unconscionable to think that after this kind of just demonstrative and um, dynamic run that there won't be some kind of fall off. When Michael Jordan called it quits, we still had Steph Marbury, we still had Allen Iverson, we still had Kobe Bryant, we still had Tim Duncan, we still had this one and that one and the great players, Hall of Famers to be. But there was a drop-off. It's hard being the face of a league. It's hard being the face of a global corporation. And that's exactly what the NBA is. That's exactly what basketball has become. And the dude has done it to a T for 20 years. So I hope the respect is given. Uh, it has definitely been earned. And congratulations to him on what is a magical night and what should be a celebrated night for basketball fans around the world because we haven't seen this happen in 38 years. So for all the youngins out there, take some time out and check them out. And uh, you don't worry, you can still wear your Jordans. <laughs> don't worry, you can still, you know, drink your Gatorade and, and, and still worship Mike. You don't have to do one or the other. That's the beautiful thing about basketball. And hopefully that's the beautiful thing that will come out of tonight. The full goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for this episode 206 of the Full Goal Podcast. I want to thank our guest, Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. Make sure you check out all his stuff, all his content at The Athletic. Subscribe. Make sure you, you, you tap it, you tap it in with our guy, Kevin Fishbane. I want to thank our production staff, as always, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, the active Jesse Lopez, and my main man who showed up in a robe tonight. Uh, kept a real player, kept a real sexy. My main man, Tony Gill, a.k.a. Young Barry White. Uh, thank you, fellas, as always. Love the production staff. Love the team. Um, thank y'all for downloading this thing. Thank you for listening to this thing. Thank you for subscribing to it. Thank you for sharing it with your friends and family. Thank you for rating and reviewing it. Make sure you're giving it five stars out there. Uh, if not, we're going to catch you in the streets, and it's going to be as simple as that. And you don't want to catch Tony Gill in the streets because... You know, a man walking around the streets in a uh, a blue, you know, terry cloth plush robe. You know, you don't want to know what's happening underneath that joint. He's a married man, too. So, you know. Know what time it is? Film? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm trying to get you off this joint as quickly as possible. I see you got something <laughs> planned, boy. <laughs> I see you got something planned. All right, let's get up out of here. As always, make sure you keep that voicemail line close to you. 773-359-3103. The Fogo voicemail line is always open for you. Uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. We got Super Bowl preview coming up because Super Bowl 57 is on Sunday. Looking forward to that game. So we'll holler at y'all on Thursday. As always, we leave you with this. Take care of each other and be safe.